Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. And we are your answer, by the way. We are at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And this is Talk Radio, so you're welcome to call the show and join me. We're also an iHeart station, so if you're rambling around town and you've got your cell phone with you, your smartphone, you can key us up, baby. You can join the show. Well, I was listening to Jay Sekulow and the American Center for Law and Justice on my way home the other day. And the the American Center for Law and Justice is a nonprofit organization that is both a reporting group and also an activist group. They're legal activists and uh, they're uh, um, uh, politically active. They're they. Uh, do a lot of good work for conservative causes for the uh, state of Israel, the nation of Israel, and uh, fight uh, bigotry and anti-Semitism, and uh, they just do a lot of good things. They're for family values and for the uh, the conservative values that you and I hold so dear. Now, they were talking about an Ohio physician named Laura Kolob, K-O-L-L-A-B, who is a Muslim medical doctor, and she was a resident in, in residency at the Cleveland Clinic, and she posted an anti-Semitic rant on her, on her website or her social page. Uh, she called for the killing of all Jews and said she would intentionally prescribe the wrong medication if Jews were placed under her care or came into her clinic or her practice. Uh, they fired her at the Cleveland Clinic once this was found out, and uh, Jay Sekulow and the American Center for Law and Justice is petitioning the Ohio State Medical Board to permanently revoke her license. Now, this petition can be signed by you, me, and I did sign it, by the way, online. You can go to the American Center for Law and Justice, and uh, there's a, a spot there where you can put your name and your your uh, email address and your zip code and whatever it is they require to make it a legitimate uh, signature. So I hope that uh, you will do that and you will take the time, as I did, to go to the website and sign the petition. It's important that we speak out. It's important. Anti-Semitism has been with us since the time of the Romans. And as I tell my Jewish cousins, it's a bad idea to get the Romans upset with you. But in the first century AD, uh, Jewish separatist militant factions in Judea revolted against the Romans and the famous last stand at Masada, the mountain fortress, which the Romans methodically built a ramp up to and then assaulted and killed all the remaining rebels as well as their women and children. That was pretty much the end of the Jewish rebellion, and that was the beginning of the 
Jewish diaspora, uh, where the Romans started kicking Jews out of the Palestinian area, and they indeed renamed the area Palestine. Uh, they took away home rule from, from the Jewish people, and they dismantled Herod's temple. You probably didn't know that. The Colosseum in Rome was built in part from stones from Herod's temple, which was at that time the largest uh, building in the Mediterranean basin. It was a huge building for the times. And uh, it was more than just a, a temple. It was also a plaza. It was a trading area. It was uh, a meeting area. And it was home to the high priest of the Jewish religion at that time. Uh, the rebellion was the equivalent of Rhode Island taking on the rest of the United States. Bad idea, bad idea. Well, from that time forward, Jews were displaced and uh, were disparaged. Uh, again, the name was changed to Palestine, and anti-Semitism took root. Uh, historically notable anti-Semitic actions included the late Middle Ages Inquisition, the Inquisition, the Inquisition, and that occurred in Southern Europe mainly, although it did get into England. But uh, this was an attempt to force non-Christians to convert to Catholicism or be killed, uh, tortured, uh, and Jews were uh, disparaged and uh, blamed for killing Christ. Uh, they were blamed by by the populace for the plagues. Uh, of course, they didn't have anything to do with the plagues, and as Pope Valentine pointed out, the Jews were dying from the Black Plague just as frequently and just in the same percentages as the non-Jews, as the Gentiles and the Christians were. So, But for the person on the street, you had to blame somebody, and the Jews have been uh, in, the, in the crosshairs of, of the world in terms of blaming occurrences that are at, outside the control of anybody on the Jews. And uh, Islam has also persecuted Jews. Uh, we know of the Holocaust and the murder of Jews by the German Nazis, and all, all this is uh, historically accurate. And although the United States is extremely tolerant and accepting, uh, there have been incidents of anti-Semitism and violence against Jews dating mainly from the Civil War. Uh, President Washington was, was very uh, tolerant and uh, wrote a really nice letter, which I'll, I'll read or read part of it a little later in the show, to a Jewish congregation and uh, pointed out that we were not a nation of bigotry, but one of tolerance. Of course, people are going to say, well, he was a slaveholder. I think we have to put it into historical perspective. At that time, his first task was to hold the nation together to create the nation and he actually freed all of his slaves at his death. He couldn't do it while he was alive because as a southern planter and uh, a man of Virginia, it would have sparked a civil war immediately. And as that, it would be uh, catastrophic to the young country to try and resolve the issue of slavery at the time of the inception of the Republic, and they left it to later generations. At any rate, 
there are outliers even in, in our current age, and there are people who espouse racism and hatred towards subpopulations. And I commend uh, Jay Sekulow and the ACLJ for taking a stand against anti-Semitism, against any kind of bigotry. And it's uh, particularly disturbing to me as a licensed physician uh, that another physician would use her medical skills and education, her medical license, to kill Jews, to kill anybody who she didn't like. And this is not someone who deserves to hold a license to practice medicine. Now, the Ohio State Board does need to, to permanently revoke her license. And uh, I understand anti-Semitism. I understand bigotry. I've talked about that on the show. I've talked about my own scrapes with being threatened with uh, harm and death uh, for my uh, affiliation with peoples of color. So I'm... Uh, I'm well aware of this, and as a child growing up in a mixed family, Jewish father, Catholic mother, I was in a unique position to hear anti-Semitic speech from friends and acquaintances who didn't know my background because being raised Catholic, I was mostly amongst the uh, Irish and German Catholics that uh, were part of the community that I was raised in. There were some Jews, but not many. My father actually converted to Catholicism when I was a youngster. The ignorance was fascinating as well as upsetting. I mean, it was fascinating even how Baptists viewed Catholics. Uh, uh, I, I laughed the first time that uh, one of my Baptist friends said, oh, we, we thought you were devils, and, you know, that you worshiped Mary and all this. And, and so th there's a lot of misunderstanding. And generally, I was quick to respond and put a stop to any hate speech and try and explain things. But it takes more than one-on-one -on -one interaction to dispel this kind of bigotry, educating each other to our various customs and beliefs is a necessary step in understanding. And of course, the great American melting pot is an excellent solution. Now, you know, when we don't understand things, uh, we, we become afraid and fear generates anger and people who do not know how to resolve their fear in a healthy way and the healthy way to dispel the fear of misunderstanding is to try to understand rather than to turn that into anger and hate. But I will say that the melting pot is, is the best solution, and I've said this to my Jewish family as well. Jews are marrying outside of the religion in increasing numbers, uh, although there's still a bent towards, towards cloistering themselves. And I think that we're breaking this down. I've worked hard during my lifetime to do what I can to push my Jewish friends and family members to uh, uh, marry outside of the religion, outside of the ethnicity. And, uh, you know, my cousin Rachel, she married a Gentile, and she's been relatively a-religious, although she's still Jewish in, in her affect and her demeanor and a lot of her outlooks on life, her socio and political outlooks. But there's no better way to dispel bigotry than to intermarry. You know what? Despite what uh, Archie Bunker type people may say or do, once they have a grandchild, they're going to fall in love with that grandchild 99% of the time. So I think intermarriage is, is the way it's going to be, and I've talked about this with some of the nurses at the hospital, some of the black nurses, and we have agreed that the only way we're going to ultimately completely resolve the racial 
conflicts that exist in our country, although by world standards, they're really small. I mean, we make them sound so big because our press is so open, but we are one of the most accepting and uh, unbigoted countries on the planet. But misunderstanding can be a root cause of fear. And so we need to also learn about each other, anger with preconceived notions and misunderstanding are certainly certainly a, my, my cell phone uh, actually just picked up my voice. Oh my God, these things are too smart. Can you believe it? I'm talking in, in, into the microphone for the radio show and my cell phone wants to get in on it. Times are changing, guys. <laughs> Times are changing rapidly, but it's, it's fun. It's fun to see the changes. I love it. So how do we confront uh, this bigotry? Well, certainly we need to confront it legally. And in our country, we have, we have the options of petition. We can petition uh, uh, organizations. We can petition the government. We can petition medical boards. We can petition the, uh, the various states and ask that they do things. Their governments, the federal government, uh, we can assemble, we can write, we can broadcast, we can speak out, we can march. Occasionally force is necessary. And as I have told my Jewish side of the family, we must be willing to fight. And in our system, fortunately, we do have legal recourse as well as rights of petition and protest. But there are times when we got to fight. And uh, the Nazi Germany is an excellent example and uh, a woman like this doctor who is espousing anti-Semitic hatred and venom, if necessary, we have to get physical. I don't think we need to. I think we can marginalize someone like this uh, through the proper legal channels, and uh, Jay Seculo and his gang are doing that. Now, there are innumerable people who have expressed to me their belief that Jews are richer, greedier, and in general, socioeconomically better off. Now, I have not experienced this. And by this, I mean that I see the same commitment to charitable organizations, and I see the same commitment to community and to fellow man in the Jewish side of the family as I do in the Catholic side of the family. I see the same sacrifices made for community, for education, for military, and uh, the same hopes and fears in all of us that I meet. Now, I also see that those who are intelligent, who have the ability and are better educated and are more likely to succeed are going to be more cautious with their money, especially when it's hard earned. And I don't think that's uh, uh, particular to the Jewish population. I think that that's, that's true in, in any population that I've come in contact with. There are Jews who are bad at investing, just as there are Gentiles. And there are Jews who are good at investing, just as there are Gentiles. And you think about the wealthiest people in America, uh, I, I'm not sure that there are any Jews in the top 10. And there's no doubt that the educational level of Jews in America is generally higher than that of the average population. Uh, and it's probably a result of both innate ability and uh, family and community commitment to education. 
and that's important. I, I think it's it's a, it's vitally important, and this is something that we espouse as conservative uh, morals and values and principles that that we value the family, we value education, we value commitment to hard work. These are all conservative uh, moral values that uh, have been pushed not only by conservative Christians, but also by Jews over the millennia. So, of course, if you're a smarter, harder working person, uh, you're going to consider a profession. And uh, Jews have populated the professional classes since uh, the written history of the Western world, doctors, lawyers, accountants, but none of this was handed to the Jewish side of the family. You got to work for it. It was earned. Now, it would be, in my opinion, counterproductive to bar or remove those who have the ability, willingness, and skills to perform these tasks. We need doctors. We need lawyers. We need accountants. Well, we may not need all the lawyers we got, but we do need professional people. And uh, my wife's girlfriend, Me Duck, her husband, Guy, who is uh, a, a Korean, and he was 10 years older than, than her, his wife and my wife and, and older than me. So he had some experience with and remembered the occupation of Korea by the Japanese. And he also remembered the Korean Civil War, which we obviously participated in and saved the South Koreans from from the horrors of what the North Koreans have experienced. And he asked a North Korean soldier, he said, why are you killing all the doctors and the lawyers and the teachers? And this young ignorant country boy who was fighting for the communists said, they're bourgeoisie. And guy said to the, to this young North Korean, he said, well, who's going to teach you? Who's going to take care of you when you get sick? Who's going to defend you in court? So we need our professional people, and we need to remember that if we destroy a professional class in the name of hate or bigotry or ignorance or politics or philosophy or religion, we're going to destroy ourselves. We're, we're going to be shooting ourselves in the foot. We'll be cutting our nose off to spite our face. But what we don't need are professional people who misuse their education and their license to harm those who they dislike or disagree with. We can't have that now, can we? I don't think that's a good idea. And I think that we need to protect not only the profession, but the people. It's important that we protect each other. And that's a big part of what doctors do. They protect the population that they serve. That's our job. So that's my little homily on that. And I will say to the Jewish side of the family, got to get down in the, in the trenches and mix with the folks, whether you agree or disagree with their religious beliefs, uh, but to share the values of the Jewish community and the, uh, the various rites and religious performances and the little nuances of the community of the the cultural values and the cultural uh, doings that go on. I think it's important that, that we all know about that and about each other's uh, various 
cultural differences so that we can learn from each other and we cannot live in ignorance and, and fear. So to me, that, that, that's important. And this is a problem that I have with Islam. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I said it to my, my young friend Mo, who is a Muslim, and he made the Hajj. That's the trip to Mecca and Medina. And he said, Doc, you should see it. It's really awesome. And he showed me some pictures his father took, he and his brothers. And I said, Mo, I can't go. I'm not a Muslim. He said, Doc, I didn't even know that till I went there. Now, this is a kid who grew up in Islam, and obviously, like most people who grow up in a religion, he hasn't read the holy book of, of Islam. He hasn't read the Quran. He doesn't know the rules of the religion. He doesn't know a lot of what it's about. But this is a problem with Islam, is that it also wants to exclude non-Muslims from the inner sanctums and the inner workings of the religion. This is a bad idea. This is a very bad idea. This will generate uh, misunderstanding, suspicion, anger, hate. And so I say to the Muslim world and my Muslim friends, you need to have your reformation. You need to change your religion and bring it more in line with the 20th century, 21st century, I should say, because now we're in the 21st. And I say this also to my Jewish cousins that we've got to open the doors and we've got to let people see who we are and what we are so that there's no or there's less misunderstanding anyway. Well, you know, the the first president of the United States sent a really nice letter to the Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island in 1790. And uh, he did have contact with Jews. There were Jews who were uh, uh, soldiers in the Revolutionary War, who were doctors, who uh, helped finance the Revolutionary War. So there was uh, a, a big, uh, um, relatively speaking to the size of the population, a big input from the Jewish community into the Revolutionary War. There were not many Jews living in the United States or in the colonies at the time of the Revolution. So it, any input uh, was huge. It was huge. <clears throat> and there were <clears throat> officers, there were doctors, there were financiers. And so in response to uh, a letter from the congregation, the president wrote, gentlemen, while I receive with much satisfaction your address, uh, replete with expressions of affection and esteem, because he was now the, the Washington was now president and the uh, new constitution was in place. I rejoice. He says, I rejoice in the opportunity of assuring you that I shall always retain a grateful remembrance of the cordial welcome I experienced in my visit uh, to Newport from all classes of citizens. And that included the Jewish community and the reflection on the days of difficulty and danger, which are past is rendered the more sweet from the consciousness that they are succeeded by days of uncommon prosperity and security. That is, that the war was over and the country was formed. If we have wisdom to make the best use of the advantage with which we are now favored, we cannot fail. We cannot fail. We're going to succeed, he's saying, if we use the morals and values and the principles that we have formed the country under at that time and under the just administration of a good government, to become a great and happy people. 
The citizens of the United States have a right to applaud themselves for having given to mankind examples of an enlarged and liberal policy, a policy worthy of imitation. And the, the president was talking about uh, universal suffrage, which at that time meant all white males. All possess a like liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship, which means everybody could join in. And it's now no more that toleration is spoken of as if it were by indulgence of one class of people towards another. And so the aristocracy was no longer in control. The president saying that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherited natural rights. For happily, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, the government of the United States, this is in 1790, for happily, the government of the United States which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that those who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. In other words, obey the law, pay your taxes, and when you're asked to help out, when you're asked to join the army or whatever it is you're asked to do by your government, do it. And that, I think, is uniquely positive, uniquely uh, 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 magnanimous that the new president of the United States should espouse to a Jewish congregation the ideals of what the country was founded on, one of which was that we are not bigots and that we won't tolerate. You can say, well, there was bigotry towards black Americans, African Americans who were brought here as slaves. And I will agree with you that there was a dichotomy, but this was something that was in the process of being worked out. And Washington was not a bigot. He started the Revolutionary War as someone who uh, was a racist, but he came out of it uh, not racist because he had black soldiers. He had Jewish soldiers. He had uh, Southerners, Northerners. He had Protestants. He had Catholics. He had all kinds of people fighting for him. And he saw everybody basically jumping in and doing what they could. And he came out of it saying, you know what? There's really not much difference between uh, Joe Blow uh, in, in Massachusetts or, or Jimmy John down in, in uh, Savannah, Georgia or a black man or a white man or a Jew or, or a Gentile. Everybody jumped in. They did what they had to do. The intelligence level was about the same. <clears throat> and he ended up freeing his slaves, as I said, at his death uh, to avoid a conflict with the southern uh, part of the country since he was representing the entire country. He didn't want to precipitate a civil war in the 1790s, and uh, I think he did the right thing. So at this point in time, in 1790, he made the statement to the Jewish community that he was not a bigot, that he did not see the United States as a bigoted country, that he believed in tolerance, and he would extend that to all, maybe not in his lifetime, but certainly the spirit that he engendered would be carried forward into future generations, and again, as uh, many of the people leaving the Constitutional Convention uh, said, uh, yes, we have left a few things unresolved, slavery being the main one, 
uh, but future generations will have to take this up, and they did, and it was resolved, and we're still working working out some of the details. But George Washington was commander in chief of the American forces in the Revolutionary War, and he had had contact with Jews even before that when he was a surveyor. Uh, he had had contact with Jews. Jews worked uh, for him and for the surveying company. Uh, his associations were generally official from what we can tell, but that was probably true with almost all of his affiliations. His personality was one of uh, great reserve and of projecting a personality of command as well as of tolerance. So he had dealings in 1758 with the Frank family and, uh, that was during the the French and Indian War, the Seven Years' War in Europe, and the 1750s. That was the war that Great Britain fought against France, and that's what brought Quebec and the rest of French North America, other than the Louisiana Purchase, everything east of the Mississippi brought it directly under British control. So we fought. That is, the colonials fought, of course, with the British against the French in the French and Indian War. And there were Jews who fought in the French and Indian War and who were involved in the French and Indian War. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to believe, but uh, it is certainly a fact that Jews have been integral to the nation since the earliest days. So with that, I'm going to get off of my Jewish high horse and go grab a cup of Joe. And you guys do the same thing, and we'll be right back. Don't miss the second half of the show. I'm going to stomp on that Mitt Romney a little bit more. Oh, my God, I got a bone to pick with that guy. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. A first round of talks between White House officials and congressional aides has made little progress toward the ending of the government shutdown, with each side accusing the other of giving no ground. More discussions are planned today. President Trump is scheduled to be at Camp David for a retreat with White House staff on border security and other topics. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says House Democrats intend to start passing individual bills to reopen agencies. President Trump's National Security Advisor John Bolton in Israel this weekend reassuring that U.S. ally of the Trump-ordered withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria. He says the pullout is conditioned on the defeating of the remnants of ISIS and Turkey's assurance of the safety of Kurdish fighters. And officials say a Nevada death row inmate who declared he wanted to die but whose execution was postponed twice has been found dead of an apparent hanging. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of CanCare, 7 
Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727 727- Five four five nine six seven four. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800-500-5588. If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. Saturday afternoons at 1215. Join Paul Porter and the home team for the Gaspers Company, McDonald's Restaurant's High School Athlete of the Week, honoring student-athletes making a positive impact. The Gaspers Company, McDonald's Restaurant's High School Athlete of the Week is flag football star Kadisha Galloway from Armwood High School. The Gaspers Company, McDonald's Restaurant's High School Athlete of the Week, Saturday afternoons at 1215 during the home team on AM 860, The Answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Full day of sunshine today with a high 71. Mainly clear through the night, low 55. Then a mostly sunny day for tomorrow, high 77. Mainly clear night, low 59. Another mostly sunny day for Tuesday, high 76. Then patchy clouds will develop for Tuesday night with a low around 60. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back, a little bit of Foreigner, and I want to know what love is. Oh, my, that song just brings chills to me. Well, I want to talk about a very unloving character. I talked about tolerance the first half of the show and fighting anti-Semitism and bigotry. And now we've got this new senator from Utah, the former governor of Massachusetts, former head of the Olympic Committee, former Fortune 500 company president, uh, child of, of, uh, of wealth and uh, 
born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His father was a governor. I believe he was governor of Michigan. And that's Mitt Romney. Uh, he is from the great state of Utah, the Mormon state, and Mitt is a Mormon. And I've talked about Mormonism and the idea that the Mormons think they can rewrite Christianity. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a Christian and I'm not defending Christianity, but uh, the idea that a religion that's been around for 2,000 years uh, can be rewritten by one small group, one small sect, and declare themselves uh, Christians, even though they don't uh, accept the basic tenets of Christianity and call the early meeting of the Christian uh, leaders uh, a political meeting rather than a spiritual meeting, although I can't find any politics involved. It's, it was, I've read the First Council of Nicaea, the the proceedings, and uh, it, it was just, just a bunch of uh, uh, um, religious uh, principles that they discussed and the changing of the Christian calendar to be more in line with the uh, with the lunar calendar and not with the Jewish calendar, which had fallen uh, out of sync with the lunar calendar. So, I, I, first of all, I have a real problem, and, and that's not to say that Mormons aren't good people, because I've known a lot of Mormons, and believe me, they are from what I can tell, they're very moral people. They don't drink, don't smoke, don't drink caffeine, uh, very committed to their religion. And uh, I, I, I just have nothing but good things to say. But that doesn't mean that one has the right to change 2,000 years of history. I mean, this is what the Muslims are doing. They're changing the history. They're not presenting the history as it really happened. And so there is an inherent... I don't want to say dishonesty, but a little bit deception, deception involved in, in the Mormon religion that, that I, I take umbrage at. Now, the, the Republicans have not done a good job of utilizing their control of the three, uh, three main parts of the legislative process, which are the House, the Senate, and the White House. They, they didn't get the, uh, the health care bill changed to reenact uh, some of the legislation that we so desperately wanted enact the border wall legislation. I mean, they, they didn't do these things, uh, which is much to their discredit. And I said that if we don't address, and I've said this for several years now, that if we as conservatives don't address the health care situation, we're not going to hold on to the White House. We will not hold on to the White House. Well, here comes Mitt. <clears throat> And he says in a recent op-ed, the president shapes the public character of the nation. Trump's character falls short. Well, Mitt did the same thing in 2012, uh, being an, an arrogant snot. And uh, this cost him the White House. This cost Republicans the White House. I'm not sure that this guy is really Republican. I mean, let's remember that he is the architect of Obamacare. The initial health care plan was instituted in Massachusetts when he was governor there. He was involved in the bill, and he signed the bill. And basically, Obamacare was just the Massachusetts health care bill, uh, only at a national level with a little tweaking. And so I, I don't see how this guy can be called a conservative Republican. He is not. 
and he is attempting to assassinate the, the character of the president, a fellow Republican. And although there were harsh words said during the campaign, after the campaign, uh, Trump was conciliatory, not only to fellow Republicans, but even to Hillary and Bill Clinton. He had uh, 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 very warm words to say to them uh, at the inauguration. And I, I think that a house divided cannot stand, as President Lincoln said. And I think that if Mitt is hell-bent and intent on continuing to keep the Republican House divided, then we will not stand. And all the conservative values and principles that we have been fighting for may well be swept under the carpet by an incoming Democratic regime in 2020. We've lost the House. Can we gain it back? I think we can, but certainly not with people like Mitt Romney uh, discouraging and disparaging the president. And remember, when you disparage the president, you disparage all of us, Mitt, because he is our spokesperson. We don't hold him as a god. We're not uh, uh, Democrats. We don't worship our, our uh, leaders. We don't make them into saints. We didn't make John McCain into a saint. That was the uh, liberal establishment in Washington, D.C. that did that. We didn't do that. We weren't interested in making John McCain a saint. This is a problem. This is the problem. When you attack the president, Mitt, you attack me. And when you attack me, you divide the house. You throw us into chaos. And that's not the direction we need to be taking at this point in time. We're in the middle of a government shutdown. Yes, it's not that big of a deal. It's only 25% of the government. And it uh, is not likely to affect the average American. Mitt sounds like a petulant little brat to me, a little spoiled brat. He sounds jealous and resentful that he lost. He lost not only in 2012, but he couldn't uh, defeat uh, Trump in, in a primary race either. And it just gives more fuel to the radical left when somebody like Mitt Romney stands up and assassinates the president's character and further divides us. And it's great to have another businessman in the White House, one who was so successful. And it's great to have another businessman in Congress, one who was so successful. You know, George Bush was a businessman. Donald Trump's a businessman. Mitt Romney was a businessman. Mitt had a ton of experience as a businessman and as an organizer. As I said earlier, he's the only former chief executive of a Fortune 500 company to sit in Congress. And he has had the opportunity to use his cell phone and the media to affect healing and to bring business leaders together to get behind our current president and his agenda. And we've seen what the divided party accomplished 
<laughs> it didn't get done to the basic uh, 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 principles that Trump was running on, which was to fix this terrible health care bill we have and to affect better border security by building some kind of a barrier. And we know what this means. It means that we lost the House, and we may very well lose the Senate in 2020 and the White House. And a radical liberal agenda will be pushed forward. And who will be to blame? Well, certainly not you and me. I mean, we have been pulling for this conservative cause for several decades now. It will fall on the shoulders of prominent Republicans who disparage all of us and who attack all of us for holding views that they think are politically unpopular. And it's, it's, it's irresponsible. It tears at the fabric of our society. It further divides us. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's an assault on our financial situation as well. Who is Mitt Romney to preach to me? Who is Mitt Romney to make uh, policy and to enact legislation that alters the way I receive health care? I mean, who is this guy? He's never had to <laughs> worry about health care. He's never had to worry about uh, having the best medical health care available. And the mainstream media and Democrats want to continue to divide Republicans and Mitt's playing right into their hands. I mean, we, we got rid of Jeff Flake and now here comes Mitt Romney. He is uh, a detractor, a distractor, a divider, a dissident, a political opportunist. And that's not to say that you have to love President Trump and his personality. I mean, he's a unique man. You don't find people like him every day. And as a president, he is one of the most unique. He's right up there with Andrew Jackson and Teddy Roosevelt in terms of uniqueness and being outspoken and using his office to uh, promote his, his ideals and his policy. And so... The presidency is a role that takes on many aspects, not only public aspects, but also private, also uh, negotiating, diplomatic, business. As Calvin Coolidge said, the business of government is business. I mean, come on, this is just about money and how we use it and how we spend it. it you say, well, isn't it about roads? Yes, it's about roads, but... How do those trucks get to your to your Walmart to drop off your goods? They get there on on roads that the government has built. So the, the government is in the business of business, whether it's transportation, whether it's protecting the country militarily, whether it's the police, whether it's the courts. All of this ultimately has to do with business. Yes, there is a criminal aspect of law uh, that's necessary to make sure that you and I 
are nice to each other and we behave. But even that has an element of business to it. Because if you have anarchy, you don't have business. If you have discord, chaos, if you have thugs in control like in Venezuela, you have no economy. Their inflation rate is 1,000% a year. Money's not buying anything. You can't even get a loaf of bread. There's not enough money. And when there's no money flowing, when there's no business, when there's no interaction, no transactions, guess what? People aren't going to go to the bakery and bake. What are they going to do it for? How are they going to buy the flour if they don't have money, if customers aren't coming in and buying from them? So as Calvin Coolidge said, the business of government is business. And Mitt Romney, who was a businessman, should know this better than almost any other person in the Congress. Trump certainly knows it. And Trump's agenda, the conservative agenda, it's working. We added 320,000 jobs in the last quarter. Even though the stock market was tanking, the economy was still growing. It's still growing. And we have uh, punched the Chinese in the nose. We've given them a bloody nose. Their economy is faltering. And they're going to have to eventually come to the table and negotiate uh, better trade deals. And not, and as I have said, not that I want to hurt the Chinese. I mean, I, I, I the average Chinese guy and gal to me seem like decent people. And, uh, you know, they're just trying to get along and make a living like you and me. The economy is growing at twice the rate as it did under Barack. What on earth is Mitt thinking? What's this guy thinking? 4.4 million new jobs added. And if you read the Constitution, the president's first charge in his articles defining his role are to be the head of the military and protect the country. That's what he's doing. He's, he's protecting the country in his view. Um, he is trying to defend the border. He's trying to strengthen the military. He's trying to strengthen the economy and reasserting our role as a leader in the world and insisting that other allies jump in and take their fair share of responsibility in policing the world and in fighting the fights against fascism. And although he announced we're pulling out of Syria, we're still next door in Iraq. And as he pointed out, we can respond quickly. Uh, we're obviously going to give some quiet aid to the Turks to continue the fight against ISIS since Turkey and Syria share a border. Syria's northern border is with Turkey's southeastern border. And uh, th this is their neighborhood. I mean, I, I, I think that we should stay in Syria. We should have a military presence. But even if we do it by proxy, I'm okay with that. If we get the Turks and the Sauds and uh, the uh, Iraqis and other people in the area to pick up their responsibility against both ISIS, the radical uh, Sunni, and against uh, the Iranians, the radical Shias, the two sects of Islam, I don't have a problem with that as long as it is effective. And the Turks know how to fight. They, they can do that. The Sauds have learned how to fight. 
they're doing a pretty good job. They're having their own internal problems, but that's okay. So what's wrong with wanting NATO, including Turkey, which is a NATO member, to pull their weight, pay their fair share, take their their proportion of the military responsibilities? And we're changing the country. You and I are changing the way we live. We're changing the economy. We're changing the way people view conservative morals and values. The debate on abortion has come to the fore again. The fight against bigotry, which, by the way, I am shocked to say the Democrats have been uh, fanning. They've been fanning the flames of bigotry. They've been fanning anti-Semitism. They've been fanning anti-white. And, uh, you know, you can say, well, we deserve it. What what, what are you talking about? Why do I deserve to be uh, um, marginalized, to be uh, stepped on because I'm white or because I'm Jewish or because I'm Catholic? I mean, I'm I'm a pretty good guy. I, I take care of sick people. I don't rob or steal. Well, not that you'll know about anyway. And uh, I do what I can for the community. I do what I can for my family. My kids are doing okay. They're both educated and and they have jobs. Uh, They're sober. Uh, I I mean, I, I give back as much as I can. I pay for this radio show to promote news and, and education and understanding. And I think that's, that's a good thing to do in the community. And, and you're going to uh, come after me. You're going to step on me. You're going to tell me that I am a, a no good white SOB, that I'm a dirty Jew or that, uh, you know, I'm a Catholic or whatever it is that you don't like and that you want to persecute me for, you're going to do that. Well, you know what? I ain't going to stand for that. And as far as I'm concerned about Mitt Romney, Mitt better watch his step. He best watch his step or he's going to find himself marginalized by everybody. And remember, Benedict Arnold went to England and he was marginalized as a turncoat He was ousted in the United States, and he was marginalized by the English as well. So when you turn on your own, you're going to be marginalized by both sides. You don't eat your own, Mitt. You don't eat your own. Well, that's my rant on Mitt Romney, and we're getting close to the end of the show. Appreciate you guys listening today. Bill, it was a lot of fun. I love you, buddy. And we'll do it again next week. I am Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.